0: Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. The title of my sermon is, Does Prayer Really Change Things? There's some difficulties with the uh, subject matter of prayer that we need to address today. And I will be starting with the seventh verse of the seventh chapter of Matthew and Jesus says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open very simple little passage for being such a simple straightforward passage, it's almost shocking the number of difficulties that arise out of this, which gives me an opportunity to share with you today some of the answers to life's difficult questions when it comes to talking to God, when it comes to prayer. And who of us that have been in church for any number of years have not already run into that little lesson that we learn from this passage, that you take the three thematic words, ask, seek, and knock, and you discover that the first letter of each of those forms the word ask. So you've got some sort of an acronym or uh, an acrostic, depending on how you would define that. Ask, seek, and knock. And it really, that's insignificant. It's meaningless. It doesn't happen in the Greek, and it doesn't happen in any other language. It just so happens to be something that happens in the English language And it uh, maybe has been used to emphasize the word ask. Now, that's one thing I can agree with, is we do want to emphasize the word ask. Because asking and seeking and knocking are not intended to be three distinct different ways of approaching God. It's just three different ways of virtually saying the same thing. But there's a difficulty that rises out of this passage that stems from the rather common suggestion that the Greek words are in our present imperatives, and I know that probably doesn't mean a lot to everybody here, but stick with me, you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Those who are trying to dig a little deeper into this, and wow you with their Greek, say these are present imperatives, which means that it implies a continuous Effort, you keep asking, you keep seeking, and you keep knocking. And armed with this somewhat hidden information that's buried in the Greek that nobody without Greek would ever understand and know, then we forge ahead now, having been enlightened in this deep teaching that we're to take our requests and petitions and believing that all unanswered prayer is attributed to. To simply our lack of persistence, attributed to our failure to ask, attributed to our failure to seek and pray long enough and hard enough. And the problem is that that tends to cast God in this role of the unjust judge, You remember that story? Who is exasperated with this persistent woman who refuses to leave him alone until he grants her justice against her adversary. Now how many of you have ever really felt completely comfortable picturing God as an unjust judge that has to be pestered until he answers? We struggle with that one too, don't we? So now we're beginning to realize we've heard a lot of things preached on this and we've heard about the unjust judge and we've heard about the person who persistently goes to his neighbor and knocks and knocks and knocks that they need some bread and and the, the neighbor finally gets what they need and sends them away so they can have some rest for the rest of the night. And out of this, with those little stories and with this one, we have been bombarded with modern-day teachers that have tried to convince you that all you got to do is just pester God to death. Yet we don't feel comfortable with that either. But we've heard it. I know we all have. So we've got these two opposing opinions already forming in our mind. One is that God has to be begged. And somehow we have this feeling that God begging cheapens God, and it's ultimately nothing more than this attempt to manipulate Him and force Him to submit to our will. So do we beg Him? Do we manipulate Him? Or do we just rely on the concept that God's going to take care of us anyway, so who cares? And you've got some scripture that will lead you to conclude one of the two things. Either you have to beg him and pastor him, or you just have to just let life go and God's in control. And neither one of those is what Jesus is wanting us to buy into. So we're going to try and find out what he's really trying to convey to us. If praying persistently always brings an answer to our prayer, then you have this theological conflict about what does that say about God's sovereignty? Or maybe you don't spend a lot of time thinking that deeply. But I think many people have questioned that. Okay, if if all I have to do is just keep on asking, then is God submissive to my will? And if he is, is he sovereign? And if he's sovereign, then can I change his mind or influence him by praying? We get frustrated trying to understand what is this prayer all about. That's the reason I ask this question. Does prayer really change things? Well, out of this passage, and a few more verses I will read before we're done with this sermon this morning, there's a few things that we absolutely can understand that Jesus is revealing and conveying to us. So let's nail the easy things down first. First of all, let's understand the nature of God. He is a giving God. There is no question in Scripture. God is a giving God, so we can rest assured and comforted by that. The word give in the the passage I'm using today is used five times, and it makes it apparent that giving is a major theme around which some of these truths in this passage revolve. Giving is the theme, and prayer is the mechanism. It's important because Jesus is teaching us the importance of prayer. We understand clearly he's expressing the importance of prayer. We just don't understand the mechanics of prayer. We don't understand the outcomes. We don't understand how this works. We just know it's important somehow. It's important because... Jesus wants us to connect with God through prayer. Now, does he want us to connect with God in order to manipulate him? Or does he want us to connect with God so that activates what God is going to do for us? Which, if he was going to do for us whatever he's got in mind, why did I pray? Jesus wants uh, us to understand the difference between his being a providential God, which means he just provides automatically, and his being a benevolent God. So now we're taking this a step further. We all believe, I, I think, I'm going to assume, we all believe that God... Takes care of us. As a matter of fact, one of the sermons I just recently preached was about caring for the flowers of the field, watching over the sparrows of the sky, God taking care of them. If if you being evil know how to good give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts unto those that ask him? So that's the providence of God. He's taking care of the flowers. They don't have prayer meetings. He takes care of the birds, which there's plenty of birds. There's no reason to have to spare them, not going extinct, but he takes care of them. But he takes care of us. Providence. I'm a parent, and I took care of my children while raising them in our home. They were clothed, they were fed. And they didn't have to beg me for those things. Not once did my boys have to come to me. Dad, would you please, please feed us today? I took care of them. And God takes care of me. Nevertheless, when Jesus gave us a little sample prayer, and said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Wait a minute now. I thought he's going to feed me. Why do I have to pray this? Has anybody ever asked that question? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe people don't ask why as much as I do. Does Jesus tell me to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and then turn around and tell us that he takes care of sparrows and flowers, so I'm trying to figure out what's this prayer all about? God's nevertheless a giving God and not just a providential God. I struggle with the discouragement of unanswered prayer. And you do too. I have prayed a thousand times more prayers to which I did not wit Witness an obvious, direct fulfillment. I petition God all the time. I've just grown up like that. I ask God all the time. Sometimes I ask Him for ridiculously simple, meaningless little things. I'm all the time bugging God. Lord, let that light stay green till I get through. I petition him all the time. Not like I have testimonies about having such a prayer relationship with God that all the lights are green for me everywhere I go. It just doesn't work like that. And for some reason, it doesn't keep me from praying that every time. And then I have my more serious petitions to God. It's not just about praying, Lord, let the rain hold off till I finish mowing. Sometimes it's, Lord, this person has a life-threatening disease. It doesn't look like it's time for them to pass on. There's plenty of time left for them to contribute, to be a part of our community and their family. And sometimes those prayers are not answered the way I pray them. And then we stand back and we say. Nevertheless. Not my will. But thine be done. So why did you pray to begin with. If that's what it's all about. If he's going to have his will anyway. You know. C.S. Lewis. Said one time. I don't pray. To change God. I pray. I that God can change me and I think sometimes we approach God in prayer with the idea we're going to change him with no intention whatsoever of being changed very self-centered communication with God Lord this is what I want But more than anything else, prayer needs to do a work in me for it to really be effective. So we've all petitioned God for things that were not granted. And then we all have to wrestle with those pat little answers too. You've all heard them and you've probably used them from time to time as well. When somebody tries to console you and say, all prayers are answered and sometimes the prayer the answer is no. You've heard that. Sometimes the answer is not yet. But what about when we pray and we just sense there's no answer at all? We don't sense a yes no or a maybe. And we struggle. And then then you wonder, should I continue to pray? And what we loosely call unanswered prayers, which all of us have a closet full of them, sometimes impact us deeply. Like I said, we pray for the healing of a loved one, but they die. We pray for the salvation of our loved ones, but they're not budging. My uncle tells the story. He was one of 14 children in the Gannon family. He and one other brother went into the ministry. And he had a younger brother, about sixth in line, I suppose, of the boys, who went into the military And the word came back that he was missing in action. And my uncle, who was a minister, stood on God's word and declared he will be found alive. He will come home. And refused to accept any alternatives. And prayed and believed. And it never happened. Sometimes, no matter how hard we believe, it just doesn't turn out like we ask it to happen. Unanswered prayer can be so devastating, it can be so discouraging at the very minimum. And all the ways we have of explaining unanswered prayer doesn't seem to make us feel a whole lot better about it, does it? After all, Jesus said, Ask, and you shall receive. And we go back to that, and we're reminding God, You said, Seek, and you shall find. You said, Knock, and it shall be opened. And reinforce that by turning it around, rephrasing it, and putting it back together. For whoever asks... Whoever seeks, whoever knocks, they're going to receive. And now we're puzzled. And I've already discovered, discovered a long time ago, that asking and seeking and knocking doesn't work 100% the way I think it's supposed to work. I've already come to that acceptance in my life, and the, the, the faith teachers that want to put this big, heavy guilt trip on you, the only reason that you're not getting the answer to your prayers is you're just not believing hard enough. They don't do anything but just frustrate you, making you think that somehow you are spiritually. Powerless or unworthy, or you lack the persistence, or you're just not determined enough in your mind just to make it happen. Some of the word of faith teachers, even implying that you, like God, can have the power to speak things into existence. But there's a real world we live in. We're forced to deal with the fact that not all our prayers come to pass like we expect them to. And under those conditions, we are forced to figure out how that's going to affect our relationship with God. Will I become discouraged? Will I grow bitter? Will I lose my faith? Will I stop believing in God? Will I throw my faith away? Will I call it all just a fairy tale? Is there anything to this Bible? and Anything to this God? Is my faith in God based completely on how many petitions He grants to me? So I'm still struggling with asking and seeking and knocking. I'm not quite sure what he expects of me. God's a giving God. Not just a providential God. He's a giving God. Keep that in mind. We're going to develop that a little bit more. Number two, sometimes we question the necessity of prayer. If God already knows my needs. I've already alluded to this. If He knows what I need. Why pray? Why petition God for those things that he automatically takes care of anyway? There are things that God automatically does for us. Yet Jesus tells us to pray. So here's two solid reasons we should pray. And this should help answer this question if you have any difficulty or struggle with it. Number one, because praying promotes this personal relationship with God. God wants His children to talk to Him. God wants His children to fellowship Him. If we didn't communicate with Him, if we just live by this concept that God is a providential God, that He's just going to take care of everything, and we never talk to Him, it would just, we'd just be automated, wouldn't we? So at least one of the ways that God has of getting us to talk to him is telling us, Come and petition me once in a while. When my boys were little, I I was excited to do special things for them. We would be I specifically remember many occasions where we'd be traveling together on a a road trip. And I would think in my heart, you know, the next Dairy Queen we come to, I'm going to surprise them. And I'm just going to pull over and get everybody whatever they wanted, Dairy Queen. We just need that little break. And I, I want to be a good father. I want to be on the popular list. So here we are going down the road, and in the distance, the boys with eyes like hawks spot the Dairy Queen, and they start saying, Dad, can we go to Dairy Queen? And I'm thinking, you're spoiling this for me. This is not the way I envision this at all. I want you all just to be quiet, and and I turn in, to the Dairy Queen, and I surprise you. Look, but no! Now they got to make it look like the only reason I went is because they begged me. And they robbed me of all of my glory of being a spontaneous and good father. Well, fortunately, God doesn't think like I think. And so when we see the Dairy Queens of life... (laughs) And God already has it in his heart. He wants to give. And we, not aware that he already has a plan, begin saying, Lord, how about? Would you do this? God's not offended like I am. He's very patient with us. And he blesses us because he's a giving God. And he allows us that privilege of asking because he likes the joy Of knowing that his children talk to him, call on him, want him, need him, desire from him. It gives him that fatherly feeling like I was searching for. That's the only way I can relate it. He wants to hear from us. So it promotes this personal relationship. That's why we pray. Number two, we pray because petitioning God regulates the quality of our petitions. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Petitioning God teaches us to distinguish between asking appropriately and asking wrongly. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, reinforces this principle. And he writes in his little book in, in the fourth chapter, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle within you? You desire but you do not have, so... And and get this. You desire, and you don't have, so you kill. Whoa! These are some angry people. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James is addressing this thing about petitioning God. When we petition God, we learn to refine how it's appropriate to ask God and what it is appropriate to ask God. So that eventually what God wants us to do is get to the place where our desires are not our desires. Our desires are truly His desires. When we get to the point when we can pray, Lord, I believe that this is what You would want for me truly. Truly, truly want for me. And ask with the right kind of spirit. Now it's developing us. That's why we pray. It develops us. It changes our character. It tunes us to the mind of God because He's going to get His way anyway. Why not buy into that to begin with? So James sets this fascinating case for why we should petition God. He starts off by acknowledging that we have these raging desires that dwell in the heart of men and women. He says those desires can be so strong to procure the things we do not possess, that sometimes we are driveling, driven to quarreling and fighting and sometimes killing just to possess. And then James teaches the people the only proper way to deal with our desires is simply to ask God. And it infers that resorting to physical force and violence to fulfill our desires is totally unacceptable. You know how many times that we pray and then go about trying to fulfill our own requests and make it happen? Trying to help God out. Trying to force His hand. Paving the way to make it easy for Him to bring it to pass. But if we sincerely pray, not my will but thine be done. We won't fight, we won't quarrel, we won't kill in pursuit of our desires. Uncontrolled desire is dangerous and leads to reckless and foolish behavior. The second thing it infers is that when we ask everyone except God, we're asking the wrong people. And third, it infers we can be safe in asking God, and this is one of the important things Jesus is trying to teach us, you can be safe in asking God... Because he will check your motives, he will check what you are asking for, and he will ensure that he gives good things. Good things. In other words, God's our filter. He's our safety mechanism. He guides us in our petitions. Have you ever possessed anything by your own might? by your own manipulation, by your own ability, and then live to regret that you ever possessed it. I've owned more than a few white elephants in my life. They are not pleasant. I wanted it. I had to have it. I prayed about it. Then I made it happen. And I said, Lord, take this away. And so I have, to, I have to govern my life by I, I pray over all our major purchases that we make. As a matter of fact, anytime I spend more than 100 dollars, I get sick in my stomach. It's, just, it's my threshold. I get a little nauseous at 90, but I, I just get I hate spending money. But when we come to major purchases, we buy a car, we bought a few houses in our life. I just, I'm I'm a mess. Lord, help me to see. Help me to understand. I don't know what I'm getting into. Protect me. Take care of me. Steer me away from what's wrong. Lead me to something that's good. As a matter of fact, I'm getting cold feet. God, take it away. I don't want this anyway. It's difficult I pray, I saturate these things in prayer. Because I'm not going to press forward on something like that if God's not going to provide and take care of me in the process. I rely on Him. He's my filter. Because He gives good things to those that ask. But He doesn't always give what I ask for. He's a giving God. The second point is He's a good God. And this is where we read this scripture I've been quoting you. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those that ask him? God is unique because he's good. Because you think of all the other gods that people worship in the world. How many of these gods do you know are good? I mean, they've got questionable origins. If you're talking about some of these mythological gods, they were all created and they came out of out of horrendous violence and incest and rape. All these, these gods are the product of some god mother and some god child that had sex and created this child that now is your god, uh, or they, or some violent rape of some, and that's your god. They're not good gods. They're evil gods, they're despotic gods, they're hateful gods, they're gods that are to be feared. But God is unique in that He is a good God. He's not the origin of some violence or some rape or some incest. He's the eternal God, the self-existent One, the Great I Am. He's the most high God, and even in His judgment, His judgment is just and He is good. God is unique because He has this Father heart that no other God even comes close to pretending to have or or suggests that they might have. Unlike hundreds of other false gods that people have ever worshipped, the most high God, as revealed in Scripture to us, is like a father. What other God do you know There's a father? to all of mankind, all of humankind. Jesus uses this opportunity in this teaching to further demonstrate the point that He has a Father's heart. And it will be very valuable to His disciples to understand the Father heart of God. Since they will devote, be devoting their life to serving Him, we have to know what kind of a God this is. And Jesus appeals to their own sense of goodness as loving parents. He said, if you can understand the heart of a loving parent, and here's the shocker, You, you, you almost have to put yourself in the place of Jesus standing before his disciples, and you're standing there as a witness watching this whole thing. And these are just common people, average people. They're not wicked people, they're just people. And Jesus says to them, very lovingly, Now, if your son asks for a piece of bread, you won't give him a rock. You wouldn't do that. And considering the fact that you're basically just worthless, no good, evil, nasty people... And how he gets away with this, I don't know. You'd be deeply offended if I said, you people here, you know how to give good things, but you're just disgusting people. You probably wouldn't hear the rest of my sermon after that. So Jesus says, you're evil. And you know how to give good gifts. But then he says, how much more is my heavenly father? Because God is good. If you even in your low and fallen sinful state know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more, how much more, how much more? How much more is your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? So we come to grips with our own evil nature in this. And I don't want to call myself evil. God calls me evil. But I'm not evil. No, I'm good. I'm basically a good person. How many of you heard that sometime in your life? They don't go to church. They don't pray. They don't love God. But their defense is, but I'm basically a good person. You hear this all the time. You hear somebody in the news that is just just a mass murder and somebody says, if you just knew him, he was basically a good person. It's always our defense. I don't know what basically means. I'm not sure I know what good means, if that's what they're saying. There's a huge difference between being good by nature and merely doing good things once in a while. There's none of us that are good by nature. You might do good things once in a while. You might give generously once in a while. You might be that kind of person that would give the coat off your back. I have been in the position of performing funerals for a variety of people in my life. Sometimes the people, if 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 a man can know such a thing, you know that they didn't. Make it to heaven. You just, you just know the lifestyle they lived, the way they died, the way that they, they brought an end to their life by the, by the things that they did and participated in. And, and then you get into the funeral and all the family stands up and tells how wonderful they were and how generous and how loving and how kind they were. And you're sitting there wrestling with these people had no time for God. They didn't know how to pray. They didn't ever read their Bible. They, 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 were, they were their lifestyle. They were caught up in this garbage in their life. And all these people are singing their praises because they're basically good people. You know what? What they're trying to say is they did nice things. There's none good but God. We're all falling short of the glory of God. Every one of us. We are not good by nature. We're wicked by nature. We're evil by nature. We just manage once in a while to please people by the things we say or do, but we're not good. God is unique. because He's good. I have to come to grips with my own evil nature because God has revealed that to me. So God is good and God is fatherly. When we forget that, we blame Him unnecessarily because things are not going our way. We blame Him unfairly. We doubt Him unjustly. We all declare God to be good, but we don't live it out in our life. What we say of our mouth doesn't bear fruit in our actions. We say God is good. And then when things don't go our way, it's like, God, you must not love me. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said God was good. Is this a breakdown in God's goodness or your understanding of of Him taking care of you. You wonder if God's punishing you for something you, you're not even aware of. Yet you say God's a good God. Your theology's all messed up. You blame God for all the bad things that are happening in this world and in your life. And you think God's a good God? Because you've got to bring some of these things into submission. If God's a good God, then you can't blame Him. You can't declare Him unjust. Let me just summarize, and I'm done today. Ask, seek, and knock was never intended to be a formula to get something from God. Unfortunately, it's been reduced to that by a lot of teachers. It was never intended to be a formula. And sometimes we think, I just got to ask a little harder, seek a little harder, knock a little harder. Just haven't gotten there yet. Press in got to go for it it wasn't intended to be that at all it was intended to be that method by which we recognize that without god we are nothing we need him we not only need him we need his will in our life and he invites us to come and petition him and he's not offended when we come and ask things if we're asking amiss and he says that wouldn't be good for you and he takes it away don't get better it's a part of the learning lesson of how to come into the mind and the will of God. God's not a vending machine, people. He's a father. A vending machine will put out whatever it's in it. You put money in it, and out it comes. Sometimes it'll get it wrong. God's a father. A father watches out for his children. I've had to do that when I raised my boys. They wanted all kinds of things. We're not good for them. A father guided them. You don't need that. We're not going to do that. That's not good for you. This is what's good for you. That's a part of being a father. In summary, also, this passage teaches us we're welcome to petition God. He's not insulted by our asking. He encourages us to come to him. But it also teaches us that his goodness and fatherly heart will often trump our desires. Because remember, we're evil. (laughs) And being evil, we don't always have a clear perspective on things. This passage also teaches us not to become discouraged by what we perceive as unanswered prayer because the bottom line is this, God is good, God is fatherly, God cares. We have to understand you're free to ask but you also have to have the maturity not to become bitter when your petitions are not granted when and where and how you expect them to be. And finally this passage teaches us that God wants us to trust Him. The fact that God gives good things does not necessarily imply that those good things are always the things we ask for. He gives us better things than we ask for. In fact, the construct of this passage seems to imply that we ask and seek and knock, but God gives what He deems best for us. We still have a responsibility to ask and seek and knock because that is submission to Him. And as long as we keep turning to God and keep trusting Him, as long as we continue to value our relationship with Him as children children to the Father, as long as we pray, God will take care of us. So we pray. Bow your heads.